Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. that time of the week again, and I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, Before I get right in, remember you can hear this podcast at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. It's a great website uh, that's just a big supporter of illustration, and um, yeah, I love it. I love that I get to be a part of it, so check that out. Uh, now let's just, I like to put a few disclaimers in there because, um, the truth is, is that this podcast is a very vulnerable experience to record yourself and your thoughts and put them out there online for everybody to hear is just a bit nerve wracking in a lot of ways. And sometimes I feel the need to explain myself, even if maybe I shouldn't or don't need to, um, you know, I, I guess part of what I wanted to say was, you know, um, two things really that one, you know, all the stuff that I'm saying, most of it isn't stuff that I dreamt up. It's stuff that, uh, I've experienced or someone has passed on to me or I've read in a book or heard in another podcast or, you know, but it's, it is all stuff that I've then implemented and found to be true. And, you know, this isn't a shock to you because I usually mention where I hear things from. I usually kind of say, oh, I heard this by this speaker or whatever. But, you know, I I just got to thinking about how I didn't want this to feel like here's all the amazing stuff that I know. I, I wanted it to, I want it to be more like, um, well, I guess I feel like that, you know, true wisdom isn't uh, new. It's not, you know, there's no nothing new under the sun. There's no, um, if it's really good stuff, I think that it's something that's been around, um, as long as humans have been around. And so I guess I just wanted to qualify, you know, I don't feel like I'm coming on this and bringing you, uh, all of this brand new information that nobody's ever said before, but I am telling you, you know, these are the ideas and my spin on different ideas that have helped me and the way that they've impacted me. And these are my own metaphors and stories on how that relates to my life. And, you know, I guess that's kind of what I see this as. The other side of it is I kind of feel like if uh, you record yourself talking and you put it out in the world, that for some reason that communicates that I think this is the gospel truth. This is the uh, end-all, be-all, final word. This is my full opinion, and this is what you should be doing. And I don't see that 
like this at all. You know, I feel like it's really something totally different. You know, it's, it's really just my whole idea is that if I can tell you all of this stuff and it makes you critically think about your own path and your own work, then the job is done. Now, whether you agree with me or not doesn't matter because I think the real uh, true value comes from just um, being self-aware and thinking about what it is you do. And so that's kind of what I see the purpose as. Uh, just like basically poking at uh, these different topics and um, hopefully stimulating uh your own thinking and your own ideas because your approach is going to be totally different than mine. Uh, and so, all right, enough with the uh, disclaimers and caveats and explaining away all that. I just wanted to give you, I just wanted you to know that this doesn't come from a place of, I've learned everything there is to know about being a creative professional because that's not even close to true. I'm 28 years old. I've got so much to learn, but I feel like if I can put it down on this podcast, maybe it'll help somebody else. And then also it'll clarify what I do and, and, I, and I can get better at what I do. So that's, that's all right, that's explan- explanation and I'm moving on. Today, this is something that's been on my heart for a long time. It's something I'm really passionate about and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's just, I don't know, it's been eating at me and um, the topic is do less, more better. And this is for you grammar nerds who hate this title and real, yes, it's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be bad grammar, but it's for whatever reason, it felt like the right cup to pour this uh, podcast into. It just felt like the right sentiment of a mashup of the contradictory statements, as you know, I like. So do less, more, better. And uh, I don't care. Send me an email and tell me how bad grammatically it is. I don't care. Uh, But what I've been thinking about is, you know, I feel like if you really want to excel at something and you really, uh, you want to get good at life and you want to live your best life, if you go out there and you search for information about that, the message, I think the, the prevailing message, and I think it's the prevailing message of our culture is do more, do more, get more results. And I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. And actually, it makes me angry because I feel like that it's people putting unnecessary burdens on other people. And I feel like it's one of the most um, unwise uh, kind of pieces of advice is do more. And I think it because it lacks nuance. It lacks real experience. And it's actually not... um, there's only so much you can do. And yeah, if you're not, if you're sitting around watching TV all day, do more. You need to do more. But so much of us that want to be um, professionals, you know, we're already doing so much. And if you just say, oh, you're not doing enough, just do more. Like that not, that actually takes away from your overall net productivity and, and overall uh, position. And I feel like um, there's so many, you know, there's so much advice out there that um, is masquerading as as wisdom. And it's what it really is, is just um, foolishness. It's foolishness to just say do more because you can't do, you can't just do more. Of course, if I could make 300 paintings in a day that were amazing, would that be better? 
maybe. I mean, I would definitely get some uh, exposure and interest, but it's not, first of all, it's impossible. Second of all, that it, it, that's just not the answer. I, I really think that the whole work smarter thing, I do, I believe in work working hard, but I feel like working smarter and being more, having more clarity in your approach to what you do is way more important than just piling on more activities. And I feel like I want this podcast to not be another thing telling you to do more. In fact, rarely do I feel like am I giving you actionable steps on top of actionable steps that you know can add up to infinity of a million things you could be doing to increase your uh, work and your practice. Rarely am I doing that. Mostly what I try to do on the podcast uh, and what I'm trying to do in my own life is gain clarity. And why? Because clarity actually means that you can do less. Because when you've figured out the things that you're supposed to be doing and you're sure about it because you're clear and you're confident, you can actually brush away all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And so that's a theme. That's kind of, you know, I've been thinking about what are my core values as a as a creative person and as a person in general. And one of them is definitely clarity on on what it is you're trying to do with your life. But then, you know, just in that same breath is the pursuit of doing less and less uh, and and more concentrated work uh, every year. Okay. This podcast might just be a doozy of a podcast because I've got – 20 points today. I don't know why. I just had this feeling like I really wanted to pour tons of information in there. I wanted to do a big podcast on this because I think it's so important. And it's funny also, maybe a little ironic, that I'm going to do more on this podcast about doing less. But anyway, I'm not going to think too much about that or dwell on it. I just, before we get started, you know, what I want um, basically to happen is to maybe shift our thinking away from you know, when we hear someone telling us, do more, do more, you're not good enough as you are, you're not, you're not in the right place, you're not doing the right thing, you're, you need to do 10 times more than you're doing right now, I want us to fight the urge to listen to that and fight the urge to be self-deprecating and fight the urge to go and double down. I want to, when we hear those things, I want us to be aware about it and just, and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to just up our productivity because that that is that's the industrial revolution way of thinking and 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 and, that, and there's all kinds of negative things that um go with that kind of thinking all right so here we are you know i feel like um sorry i keep almost getting started but then i remember i had something else to say uh you know i feel like what this doing more mentality is like it's like um you know, I heard one person say, say it like, uh, you know, when you're, when you're out in the ocean, you're in, in, in your, you, you need to move fast. You start trying to swim so fast that you're flailing instead of swimming. You're not getting anywhere because you're going so crazy that you're actually wasting all of your energy and you're eventually going to sink quicker than if you slowly and surely properly with the right technique in the right direction swim and I think it's the same I got this picture in my head of you know Bugs Bunny uh you know that 
when he's trying to run super fast and he's he's running so fast that he's in the same place and he's just like building up all the dust everywhere. And, and I feel like that's so often the story is that we're running so fast that we're actually not moving. We're staying right in the same place. And I think that we're afraid that if we slow down and stop and take a look at everything, we'll look down just like Bugs Bunny and we'll see that we've run off a cliff because we're way off on the wrong direction. We've run so fast that, you know, we're way off. And I think that that's, so that's what I want to do today. I want to stop and I want to say, here's 20 things to think about. 20 things that we can, uh, ways of pruning, uh, our lives and our work and our approach. Um, so number one, number one is something that's been on my mind a lot. Okay. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. So... There's this uh, metaphor that um, that you hear a lot. It's like if you if if all the civilization lived in this dark cave and there was no light, and then one person got out and saw the world and all its beauty with all the light, and and they came back and they tried to tell the people about it and try to describe how you get there. You know, it, it's like when somebody achieves that thing that you want to achieve or someone far ahead of you gives you advice, you should take it. You know, it's, they come back from the light and they say, look, I've seen how to get out of here. And so often I feel like I've been the person in the dark thinking, what do you know? What do you know about how to get out? 
my life's different than yours and this and that and all these different things that why your advice doesn't mean anything to me. And one of the things that I think um, you hear so often from people that are wildly successful at what at their creative endeavors is that you need to specialize. Now, you could tell me, well, I know a guy. He does 10 things pretty well, and he's doing just fine. But I didn't say just fine. I said wildly successful, and I think that it's so important to specialize. Now, I think that there's maybe a little bit more nuance to this, um, and, and another reason uh, we kind of trip up is that Specialization is a process that happens over a long period of time and over lots of experiences. So when you hear someone way far ahead of you saying, specialize, and you're like, well, I've got five things on my plate and I'm, they're all of equal importance and I don't know how to cut any of those things out. You know, when I talk to students, I feel like that's often their response to me. And I feel like, um, first of all, what I'm not saying is go ahead and narrow it down to one thing. Because I think when you're young in the game, you need your hand on a few different things. Why? Because when you finally get to that one thing, that one thing that you do is going to be very unique, uniquely done by you because of that experience with all different things because you're bringing a lot of different things to the table. So I do think early on it's it's important to dabble in a lot of things and and um you know be a jack of all trades and all that. But the here's where the advice is still relevant to you who's in that season. That's fine, but I think that the um these people that come back and say you must specialize in what you do. I think the thing that you need to take from that is, yes, maybe I'm in a season where I've got five things on my plate that none of them can go away, but my goal is to eventually narrow down to one or narrow down to two max as over years. So I'm always trying to prune away these things. And even if, and if you're a student and you've got five things that you're doing, five different specialties and five different um, skills and five different areas of focus, I would say just get rid of two. Wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever season you're in, I can almost guarantee that you're, that you're not specialized enough. Like you've, you've got too many uh, uh, poles in the water. And I think that almost any time in your life, you can stop and say, where is it that I'm just, I'm, I'm not specialized quite enough. And if you're in a time where you still, you're not ready to really bear down to those one or two things that you need to be doing, then just understand that that's probably the goal. Now, are there exceptions? Yes. Every, there's always an exception to the rule, but that's why they're called exceptions. You know, the rule is more like a guideline. So that's my first thing is specialize. Do less. Don't do everything. Don't do lettering and people and conceptual work and narrative work and stories and patterns and every. Don't do it all. Don't try to do it. Don't, I'm doing magazines, advertising, kids' books, uh, you know, this, that, all of it. You, you can't do all of that stuff well. And, and I think it's so important uh, to, to, to go ahead and, and, and just cut a few things away now and, and understand that even if you can't cut away everything, that eventually that's going to be the case. That's going to be the direction you want to go. All right. Number two, 
quit something that used to be right. Now, this is a stupid metaphor, but I'm going to go with it because I have a two-year-old and uh, this is on, these kinds of things are on my mind. You know, nobody comes up to a one-year-old and says, diapers are wrong for you. Like, this is what you're doing in your life. This dependency on a diaper or a pacifier is wrong, and you need to quit, right? No, when they're in that stage of their life, it's totally good. It's totally appropriate. It's totally fine. And again, we're going to keep going back to the seasons thing, because I think this is maybe the main uh, theme throughout it, is that there's going to be things that were good for you then that aren't now, they're not appropriate now because when you're five and you're in diapers, you need, something's got to change, right? Like, the, you know, what are the things that you were doing when you graduated college that were fine that need to go? They need to go now. They were fine then. They're not now. You need to quit them. You need to quit those things. I think it's so – I think, you know, there's so many things that, like, we get that thing – and we believe that it's right, and we get all the signs in the world that this is the right place to be. It could be a job. We, everything worked out perfectly for that job and or for this client that's an ongoing client. Everything's been good about it, but then slowly it wasn't good. Two years after, things aren't as good as they were, but because everything lined up perfectly at the beginning, we think that it's good forever. It's meant to be, and we have to stick at it, but no. Just because something's good at one point doesn't mean that it's going to be good now. And so I urge just look at where you're at. Look at all of the things you've got on your plate and quit the thing that is no longer good for you in this season, the thing that's not working anymore. All right, number three. This is something that comes from a, a guy I've heard about called uh, Greg McEwen, and he wrote a book called essentialism, which I haven't read, but I've heard a lot about it. And uh, this idea came from that book. And the idea is determining your highest point of contribution. Now, we kind of talked about that a little bit uh, in the last episode. We were talking about where your passions and your skills and the demand in the market line up, and that's kind of your thing. And so I think if you're always on the on that journey, and if you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out, and this will help you do this point. Uh, if you take that point and you hammer it and you think about what it is that I'm really, really good at, what are the things when I do them you know, it's a higher level. So like for me, a good example is like designing logos, right? I can design logos. I think I'm all right at that. You know, I've done a hand, I've done a quite, quite a few logos in my day and I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm better than average. I think that's for sure. But it's not my highest point of contribution. My highest point of contribution in my mind is illustration and it's narrative illustration can I do conceptual illustration? I can do it. And I, I'm probably a little bit better than average at it, but it's not my best. It's not my highest point. And I think by determining what's my highest point, all of a sudden you're getting clarity on all the things that you're doing. Those things that are not at your highest point that maybe are still necessary. Maybe you have a client on the side that helps you pay the bills, but you know when you're doing it, you're not in that highest point of uh, 
contribution. To me, that just says, that just ticked a box that said, eventually I'm going to let this thing go. That's the goal. And so I think if you just determine what that thing is, I think um, here's another reason why it works. So I, I, I talk about basketball a lot, even though I don't really like basketball. Uh, you know, I come from a family that was obsessed with basketball, and so I kind of think in basketball metaphors. And I think about Shaq, you know, Shaq for Shaq to do less. What that would have looked like as he's going through, you know, when he's going through high school and all this. I'm guessing at some point he quit practicing that three-pointer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm guessing there came a stage when it was like, you know what? I'm not fantastic at three-pointers. And I'm pretty sure, even if he was, even if he was, that's not the highest point of contribution. Because he's so big, he needs to be down there, I think they call it in the paint, right? (laughs) I don't know if that's true. Sounds good. Down there in the paint, getting the rebounds, blocking, slam dunking. That's Shaq's highest point of contribution. And maybe if he practiced threes, three-pointers every day, he could be above average at them. But that's, it's pointless. It doesn't make any sense. It's a total waste of time. What are the things that you're doing that are never going to be the highest point of your contribution? Take those things out. Number four, number four, love your work. Now, just let's pause for a minute. You might have to take a break. You might have to, I can tell this is going to be a long one. And I, and I wanted it to be because I think this one's so important. And uh, so just to let you know, we're on four of 20. So if you want to break it up, break it up. That's fine. But I, I, I wanted to do a big honking podcast this time. So, all right, number four, love your work. This came from someone tweeting at me, uh, Kelly McMorris. She's an illustrator. You can, if you put Kelly McMorris, uh, I think it's K-E-L-L-E-Y McMorris, uh, into Google and illustration, you can find her work. It's really good. Um, and she's a podcast listener and she always gives me good feedback. And she pointed me to an article that, or a blog post that she's written about loving your work and the importance of being happy with the work that you do and how so often that's the opposite of the message that we hear from our culture. We so often hear that you have to be good. You have to hate your work. And you know what? I feel like maybe she's right in that this is a bit of a false narrative. Now, I don't think that, um, I think this is the best way to kind of explain this. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Look back five years and think about what am I doing now? What am I doing now that if, my, if the, uh, the me from five years ago knew about it, he would be, or she, would be blown away. They would be, their mind would be blown. They couldn't even believe that, that, that you've done that with your work. Whatever those things are, relish in them and be happy with them and enjoy them. Because if you can't enjoy them, what is the point of doing all this? However, I like to just balance it out because I'm a big, you know, I'm a achiever kind of guy. I, I, I like to grow my work and I believe that you should always be growing. And I do think that little nugget of discontent uh, is, is, is one of the motivators of, of getting your work better. And re- again, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's uh, then, now, 
seasonal kind of up and down, push and pull balance. And I think that in that, you're going to get a better result. So sometimes I think about five years ago, you know, what could I have done then that would have put me in a much better place now? And so that's kind of that discontent or I'm sometimes, you know, I, I make these big strides in my work and I'm really, really excited about it, really stoked and I'm feeling fantastic about it. And I think that feeling of fulfillment is such a good thing and I think you should enjoy it. And if you're not, then what's the point of doing all this? But at the same time, sometimes I think you can get into that zone where you're so happy with your work, you think it's so much better than it actually is. And if you actually go out there and get, uh, go take a look at what's out there, you get a little bit of a sobering up of, all right, I've come a long way. And I think you need to celebrate the fact that your work has grown so much. And I think in that, I think in that love of your work and that satisfaction, you're going to squelch that obsession to self-deprecate or that obsession with hating your work or being unsatisfied. And that in that satisfaction, in that contentment, hopefully you can gain a little bit of, um, I don't know, a little bit of peace so that you're not scrambling, so you're not taking on more and you're constantly not trying to kill yourself with overdoing it. And, and I think this is maybe one of the keys to doing less. All right, number five, refuse the jealous side road. This is so massive for me and I think for so many people I've talked to. I don't think it's just me. It's so easy to look at who's winning the awards, to look at what magazine's the coolest to be a part of? What, uh, you know, what thing are the cool kids doing, you know, with it, within the industry and be so jealous of that. And, and I think it comes in a form that maybe you don't even recognize as negative, but so often one of the things I, I feel like when you have this thought, stop in your tracks because it's a red flag and it's, I see what those people are doing over there. Everybody thinks it's amazing I could easily do that. That thought right there, like it would be so easy for me to attain that, that thing that I'm jealous of because I can see what they're doing. I get it. I've figured it out. I could so easily go over there and do that. And I think as soon as you're motivated by, oh, the ease of something and you're, and actually what you're doing is you're devaluing what they do. As soon as you're in that arrogant kind of place, that's a red flag. You're going the wrong way. And I think it's so easy to look at uh, other people's directions and other people's awards and other people's clients and be jealous and think, I want that. I want to go do that. And I could do it. And end up on a side road away from your path, away from what you're supposed to be doing, away from your true work. And when you're doing that, you're actually... Take it, when you do that too many times, now you've, now you've got your uh, hands on 15 things at once. Now you're, now you're cooking all over the stove. Now you're messing around and you've got, now you're, you've gone off, you've sent troops into 15 different side roads because you thought on the way on your path, you looked over at that village and you thought we could take that village easy. Think of all the great things that would come from it. And you know what? Maybe those things are great, but they're not your thing. And when you've done that too many times down the path, you're, lo- you're, 
you've lost your troops. You don't have anybody left. You're spread too thin. And that's one of the biggest things that I think happens. You can't, you've got to keep your eyes on your own target. Don't do, don't get jealous. Don't let jealousy fuel you off into a dip, uh, a side road that you should never have been on. All right. This is uh, that quote. We've talked about it a bunch, but I feel like it's something that uh, deserves a little bit more conversation. It's that David Allen quote uh, where he says, you can, you can, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And I think it's so true. And I think that um, in our culture, you know, I heard there's a, there's a leadership um, writer named Michael Hyatt. And uh, I heard him say this. And, and it was, you've got to accept that, it's a, that, that you cannot do it all. You have to reject the lie that says you can do it all. You can do everything. Anything that you want, you can do it. You can be a mom and a blogger and a yoga teacher and involved at school with your kids and you can do the career and you can do this and you can do that. And you, can, you, can do, you can be 15 people all wrapped into one. And, and I really believe that that is a straight lie. You can't do all of those things well. And I think the, one of the first steps is saying, understanding, I can't do it all. I can't be amazing at kids' books, amazing at animation. I can't be amazing at uh, editorial illustration. I can't be amazing at book covers. I can't be amazing at all of these different things. It's, it's actually a lie. And be a, a good dad or mom. And be a good spouse. And be a good friend. And be a good uh, brother or sister. Like, you can't do all of those things. You can't be physically healthy and do 15 other things, right? There's only so much time. And I think that's one of the things you've got to accept. There's only so much time. And the reason why I think that this is so important is that more than any other time, Illustration especially, and design as well, but especially illustration, is a global competition. And if you're going to compete globally, you know, if you're going to think about the Olympics, if you're going to compete in the Olympics, you can't run every race. You've got to focus on what it takes to do your race. So you, ha- you have to accept, I can't do it all. What are the things that I'm going to pare down and I'm going to master these small things because I'm in a global competition, especially with illustration? All right, that's number six. Number seven, get your blinders on. Okay, so they give, uh, so I guess I read that um, animals that are hunted have eyes on the side of their heads and animals that hunt are in the front of their head. So animals on the side and that, the reason is because that they can have that, the, um, the ones that are on the side of their head, they can have that peripheral vision that can pick up if anything's moving around. And so horses have the eyes on the side of their head and they, and the horse riders put those blinders on so that the horse doesn't get scared or get distracted by the things that are going on around them. They want them to just look ahead and look where they're going and look where they're telling them to go. 
Now, I think this is super important. If you want to um, do less and you want to keep on this, this ties up with everything else. You've got to find your blinders. You've got to find what are the areas that cause me to go down the side road. What are the places where I'm, I'm usually most apt to take on more responsibility than I should? Maybe it's at work. Maybe you teach somewhere. Maybe it's uh, volunteering where you're there and you know that people are going to come to you and ask you to do more stuff. Or maybe it's your phone. Maybe you need to systematically do less on your phone. Maybe you need to look at Twitter less. Maybe you need to look at Facebook less. Why? Because you need the blinders. Because you're going to see that illustrator's doing that new thing or that illustrator got that new award or whatever. It's going to cause you to start thinking, even spending time thinking about going on a side road is a waste of your time. It's, a, it's doing more than you need to do. You know, I think, um, I think it's so important to figure out where are the areas where I need to put my blinders on. When I go into that organization, when I go into that experience, or when I go into that group of friends or whatever it is, they're always trying to pile on more stuff. And it doesn't mean you have to not go to those places. It doesn't mean you have to delete Facebook. It doesn't mean you have to do any of that stuff. It means when you go in there, have it on your mind that I have to minimize the more that I get from this. And for me, one of the ways that that's looked is like, I used to spend a lot more time on Twitter. And now when I go on Twitter, it's because I think I, I want to go on Twitter. I haven't been on today. I want to engage a little bit. I want to catch up with a few of the people. One of the ways that I put my blinders on is deleting a ton of people. And I don't, no offense, you know, if I deleted you, I'm guessing we weren't friends. But, you know, people that end up getting me on those side roads or people that um, I'm not that interested. You know, it's just like paring down, cutting down on the amount of people that, I, that I'm ingesting all that information from. And I think that that's one of the ways that you can do less It's just... Uh, or, or maybe it's just less social media. Maybe it's not doing all of them. Um, but yeah, I think you got to be aware of when do you need your blinders on. Number eight, this is a big one for me. Invest more over a longer period of time. And this is the tortoise and the hare thing, right? And I think here's the sucky thing with the internet. There's so much on there that you're tempted to, in response think about qual, uh, quantity over quality because just to compete with the amount of stuff that's on there, you got to throw stuff up all the time and get it out there. And, and just, it's so overwhelming to see the amount of illustration and, and design that's online. And when you go on there and you go through Instagram, maybe your peer is only putting something once a week, but you're following 500 people. And so it feels like everybody's making so much stuff, which makes you want to make more, 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 more. But I think, you know, what's great is that we're having a pushback against this. If you look at that website, The Great Discontent, they do the long form interviews. And if you haven't checked that out, I definitely think you should. It's really, really good. They do these long, long interviews that, are, that were so absent from the internet at the time. And, and most people thought nobody's going to do that. Everybody was saying, if you put a blog post up, it should be 500 words or less. Well, nowadays, it's those big, massive blog posts, those things where someone really 
buckled down and poured time and energy into it, we're inconsistent and intentional that get our intention. Why? I think because we're sick of the, the, the tirade of people posting every two seconds and drawing new things every two seconds. I think it's more interesting. You know, Scott Hull, uh, he's an illustration rep, came in and talked to my students uh, yesterday, and it was awesome. Thank you, Scott. Hopefully we can get him on the podcast soon. He's an Ohioan like me. Uh, he said, you know, you should try to get noticed with your work four times a year. And I thought, man, that's so good. Like, quit thinking about you need to make a splash every day. You need to make a splash every week. It's pretty impossible to do that. Make a splash four times a year. And when you make a splash, do the biggest cannonball you can muster. Train, prepare, invest in that massive cannonball and then do that thing. And then that's actually going to make a splash while all these people are constantly creating all this noise and saying everything all the time and putting up work every five minutes. That one thing that you put in that's giant is going to massively splash all over that other stuff. And it's, and, and I think it's just a, it's, and the truth is maybe that's the cultural moment we are, we're in with the internet, but it's just actually just the truth in general is that if you take your time and you make something really quality, you invest your heart, you, you make a decision that I'm going to invest in this thing, that, that thing's been, that wisdom has been around since the beginning of time. If you cherish and you care and you pour time and energy into the right thing, it's going to have a big payoff. And I think it's going to be way more valuable than the hare who's run, who sprints like crazy. It's that marathon tortoise, that slow but steady, just invest a little bit into that big thing and be intentional. That, that's going to be way more important than doing 15 things with less intention. And you're going to be doing less. And I think it's going to end up causing uh, more uh, benefits to you. Okay. Number nine, identify your one thing. I recently heard uh, Joe or Jay uh, Papasan, uh, he's a writer on a podcast, um, and he, it was an interview with him, and I went and, go, I went and looked up a bunch of stuff about him. He works with uh, Gary Keller um, from uh, Keller Williams uh, Realty, and they wrote a book uh, called your one thing or some, some close to that. And, and the idea is that you identify what's the one thing you could do that you could focus four hours of your day on every day that if you accomplish that one thing, everything in your life is easier. Everything in your life is better. Everything in your life. Um, and they describe it as like a domino effect. So they figured out that if you, you know, if you stack up dominoes and every domino that you put down is a little bit bigger than the one that you put down previously, that it infinitely uh, expands to where, you know, in, I don't know, 50 dominoes, a small domino could end up knocking down a door. And it's this idea that if you invest in this one area, what's the one area that you could invest in? that would make everything in your life, maybe it's your health. If you would just focus on your health and get that into a place that it needs to be, and you've focused all your energy on that, 
Maybe you'd be more productive every day. Maybe you'd be more present. Maybe your work would be better. Maybe your head would be less foggy. You know, what is the one thing? And it could be even, it could be something to do with work. It could be an industry that you're just going to pour into that industry. You're going to do that thing. You're going to spend all of your time and energy until that thing is mastered. Then you're going to move on to the next one. What's the one thing that you could be focusing as much energy on that you can that would affect everything in your life positively and let go of all that other stuff that, that doesn't matter? Or maybe that other stuff could get done just by focusing on this one thing. So yeah, you can go check that out. It's Gary Keller uh, and Jay Papasan. And they, I read a lot about it. I didn't read the book, but I listened to a lot of uh, podcasts with them and, and videos and stuff. And it's really, really good stuff. All right. Number 10, it's something that I've always tried to do. If you want to make art for a living, just a piece of advice. You don't have to do it, but a piece of advice I give you is live as simply as possible. When you hear only $10 a month, only $15 a month, only $50 a month, run away. Do the least amount of subscriptions that you need to. I do a few. I try to do very few. Do the only ones you need. Don't take on more debt. Don't take on more bills. Don't buy that extra car. Don't, like, if you want to do less, more better, <laughs> if you want to do that, the, one of the best things you can do is live more simply. What are the things, even the small things, what are the things that you can cut out of your life and live more simply? And, and because of that, you don't have to take on extra jobs that you don't want to take on. You don't have to do, uh, you know, 10 other extra things uh, to keep up that lifestyle. I think if you're going to do art for a living, that this is a big thing. It's a, it's just, it's a, it's a small idea and I don't have tons to say about it, but I think low overhead is the artist's best friend. And if you're not doing that, rethink it. And if you think you have, you probably haven't. List all those expenses you have. If you're going to Starbucks five times a day, cut down on that. Because all of that stuff is a commitment to more, to having to earn more, to having to take on more jobs, to have to worry more, to stress more. And I, you know, I'm not the best at this in some ways. In some ways, I find it easy to live simply. In some ways, I don't. But I'm always trying to work on how do I keep my overhead low? And that there's no mystical uh, feature to number 10. It's, it's really simple. I just think, just try to live a little bit more simply. All right. Number 11, get dubious. All right. I like that word dubious because it doesn't sound like what it means, I don't think, but it basically means like be suspicious and hesitant about when people come to sell you the lie of more equals more. I think one of the best things, this show, this show is about clarity, this Creative pep talk is like, how can I say something that gets you pumped up to get serious about clearing out all of the junk in your mind and focusing on that thing that you're supposed to be doing? And I think one thing, you know, I feel like you see this in advertising. You see this at churches and religion and, uh, and salesmen and, and, and parenting and and your boss and all this stuff, you're going to hear, I want, this is what I want you to do. Like get dubious when you start hearing people saying what, you know, they might, they're going to mask it and all different things. But what they're saying is do more. 
Like you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. You're not getting there. It's not right. You're, you're, you know, all this stuff. And more is not the answer. And I feel like a lot of that in our culture comes from advertising of saying, I'm going to sell you this thing I've got and you're going to give me money for it. I've got the key. I've got the answer. But so often the answer they're selling is more. Take more on. And I think if you just stop and say, whenever I hear that, I'm going to filter it and I'm going to be, and maybe sometimes you do need to be, do more. Okay. That's fair enough. But you need to be very hesitant when that snake oil salesman comes around and he's selling you this new thing you need, the new product, the new stuff you need to buy, the way that your life isn't good enough. That's the whole way advertising works is it says, here's a problem you didn't know you had and I have the solution. You, I think getting dubious about this stuff. What, when you start hearing that person trying to put burdens on your life, as soon as you start hearing that rhetoric, you stop and you say, no, and then process it. First say no, then process it. Because your people-pleasing nature and all that stuff is going to want to say yes. But I think it, yeah, in order to do less, more better, you, you've got to... Be dubious of when people are asking you things and people are trying to sell you. And I don't want this podcast to be like that. I don't want this podcast to be, here's 500 new things that you can do. There's 500 things that you're not doing. Hopefully, the best I could do is say that thing that you're doing, there's a different way of doing it where you're going to get more out of it from doing less. And, and I hope that that's, that's what this is about for me and, and what I can kind of pass on to you. But be careful. When that person comes around saying, you just need to make 15 images a day, I think you have to say, no, I'm not doing that. All right, number 12, outsource. Now, at different stages in your career, you can afford to outsource things. Now, I think as a designer that, often looks like hiring an assistant or whatever, but as an illustrator, I think often we think, well, we can't outsource because we make the work. That's not true. You can get an accountant. You can get a rep. You can even, it can even be as, if you're not ready to do that stuff or if that's not something you want to do, you can even just outsource it by uh, purchasing the right uh, app to manage your finances. You know, I, I think this is so big. I feel like you're going to have, when, when, if you're doing illustration, especially you've got this massive boulder on your shoulder of you're, you're running an entire business on your own when really you want to make art. And I feel like one of the best ways to do less is to figure out how can you partner with somebody else where they can take off some of the stuff that is not your highest contribution and give it to somebody else that that is their thing. Like an accountant. You find a really good accountant that can help you. And that's I'm in the process of doing some of this stuff right now. But I've done some of it in the past too. You know, uh, my wife handles finances in her house because she's better at it and she likes doing that. And I suck at it. And it's, it, it's more of more to me. It's not me doing my best. It's actually just a big thing that, that, that it's cumbersome and it doesn't help. So what are the things, and, and you know what, I think that it's so true, you're going to sit down, you, you might think in your head that you've, you've figured out everything you could already do, but I can almost guarantee you haven't. So write down all that stuff that you do, 
and then look at the things. What are the things on this list that I don't need to be one, the one doing it? For me, promoting and negotiating emails is something that I'm starting to think about. Maybe I don't need to be doing that. And maybe, you know, it's going to cost me money to, to get a rep because they're going to take some some the uh, profit. But at this stage, I feel like maybe that's something I want to do. So that's something that I'm considering outsourcing. All right. So number 13 is let go of the good. And I recently uh, was introduced to this topic, even though it's something I've thought about before, um, by a spiritual uh, writer, Rob Bell. He talks about, uh, he recently, I recently heard him talking about this idea of letting go of the good things to accept the greater things. And uh, the example I have for this is like John Klassen uh, is an illustrator who you probably have heard of. Um, He, I believe, is a Caldecott winner uh, for Best um, Picture Book. And he used to work for DreamWorks. Now, for some people, working in DreamWorks studios is great. And at, at some point in his life, that was great for him. But just because it was a really great thing then, and it was a really good thing at the, probably when he left the job, he had to move on to something that was great. And so I think sometimes we get these situations where you're like, I like it. I enjoy that client that I work with. It's, it's pretty good. I like it. It's not great. But we get in that mindset and we think, I think when you start getting to a place, it's a privileged place to be in. I'm not going to lie. But as you grow, hopefully, there are going to be things that you're doing that are good. There are going to be things that you're doing that are great. And eventually, just because something has, it might not even be generally good, but it might have, you might like the person that you work with. Say you got a client that you work with on a regular basis. You like working with that client, but the work sucks. You don't, you hate doing the work. So just because it has this element of good, doesn't mean that it's a generally a good thing to be doing. And I think when you're in that situation, you have to assess it as a whole. Don't just think, well, I like doing that work with that guy, so I'm going to keep doing it. No, just because it was great at some point or just because there's an element of it that it's good doesn't mean that it's something that you need to have on your plate. Just because you enjoy that relationship thing that you have at that, uh, I don't know, place that you're involved in doesn't mean that you need to be involved in that place. Sometimes moving forward and doing less is about letting go of things that are good, but they're not great and they're not perfect. They're not the, not the thing. Number 14, let go of the old you. Okay. I think of, uh, when I started thinking about this, I was thinking about Goodwill hunting and I was thinking about how, Matt Damon in there is this brilliant guy. You've probably seen the movie. And um, he can't let go of his friends in Boston. He can't let go of the place where he's from. He can't let go of the old him to move on to this new love that he's found um, in his life and this new uh, direction. And, And he can't let go of it. He feels like it's wrong. And I feel like there's part of us that says moving on from anything is not being true to you. If you ever, like any change is bad, you have to stay true to yourself. And I think it's totally wrong, actually. And I think it's one of the things that makes things pile up on us over the years. So for me personally, how this looks is that several years ago, I was doing the Nod Project, which I love. It's still, 
still impacts my work today. But in that project, I was really exploring these themes of like darkness and the dark things that um, are kind of lurking behind the uh, seams of life. And that was something I was really attracted to. And it's something I still like. But I realize it's not the kind of thing that's, it's not exciting me anymore, that the darker things. I'm not really into that. And there's part of me that has this, I think it's our loyalty to something, loyalty that, to something that was good, that we want to we hold on to it, want to keep it. Like, that's me. I've got to be that thing. And if you watch Goodwill Hunting, I hate this is spoiler alert, so if you don't want to hear it, fast forward 15 seconds. Ben Affleck tells Matt Damon, like, you've got to move on. He's like, the best thing, the thing I'm hoping for every day when I go pick you up for work, I'm hoping that one day I come to your door and I knock on the door and you're not there and you're gone and you've moved on. That's my hope for you. I don't even want you to say bye. And, and it happens, you know, he, he moves on. You know, you're always going to have those people in your life that say, I like the old stuff better. You're always going to have that. But you, you're you not the same person you were three years ago. And in order to, you've got to clear house. You've got to clear out those clothes that, that you don't wear anymore. And in your work, you've got to do the same thing. Just because three years ago that thing was what your work was all about doesn't mean you have to carry it on now because you've added 15 new things and there's something new that you're excited about. And sometimes you've got to clear house. You've got to clear out that old stuff. And you got to move on. And, and, and people are going to make you feel ashamed about it or make you feel like you're being unauthentic. But it's, it's less, the true authentic thing to do is to be who you are now and let go of the things that you're not anymore. It's like video games for me. I love, I, I loved playing video games like crazy when I was younger. And I still play some, but I'm pretty picky. I basically play the ones where I can play for half an hour and shut my brain off, like Super Mario for the Wii, you know? But video games were a big part of my identity as, like, a teenager. And they're still a big part of a lot of people's identity as adults, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But for me, that's not true anymore. And so doing the video game work and trying to push that scene feels inauthentic to me. But I have this loyalty to, you know, the last episode was about Zelda. I have this loyalty to Zelda because that's part of me. It's my identity. But there's part of you that, that your identity is going to grow and change. And I think you've got to accept it. And you've got to allow it to happen. And don't be ashamed of, of, of letting go of parts of you that are not the same. And I think the thing about this hard, this is hard because you've got to be really present in the moment. You've got to take account of who am I really now? Because for me, like those things that, was, that were moving me and interesting me uh, when I was back in the day with uh, Nod, you know, I still like that stuff. But I had to stop and say, wait a second, I'm, that's not the work I want to make anymore. Like, I still like that, but it's not my, I'm not on fire about it. And I think at some point, you've got to switch gears. You've got to take an account and say, you know what, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And I'm moving on. All right. So let go of the old you. 15, pruning personal life. Okay. <sighs> I know a lot of people don't like this one. Um, I was talking to my students recently. I said, you know what? Here's my life right now, and I couldn't be more thrilled, and I believe in it. 
I got, I have time for my kids. I have time for my wife. I have time for my brother and his wife and his kid. I've got time for my students. I've got time for my peers in my industry. And I've got time for my work. I don't have a lot of time beyond that. And I'm not going to sacrifice any of those things for more superficial relationships outside of that. There are a few people I'd like to, um, friends that are maybe unrelated to all those things, where I'd like to give them a little bit more of my time. But I'm cool with that. And I think about social pressure. This kind of goes back. All of these things are kind of tied in together. But this goes back to this idea of, uh, what is it, uh, ac- accepting you can't do it all. But So pruning your personal life and understanding, like, for, and, and I don't, so pre- everybody's going to have their own pressures. But some people have this social pressure of like, if it's, so for me, if it's Friday night and I'm drawing, I don't feel shame in that. But some people have this burden of, oh, I've got to be hip and I got to be on the scene. I got to be, if I'm not partying, I'm not really being a, you know, fun person. Or if I'm not out with my friends and I'm missing something, if I don't have girls night, if I don't have guys night, if I don't have, you know, all this stuff, if I don't have those things, then I'm not living a good life or I'm going to be under the scrutiny of other people as being boring or whatever it is. And I think it's so important to get rid of what are the things you're doing out of social pressure where you feel like you don't add up, so you got to do all this extra stuff. You can't do it all. You can't have it all. You got to pick and choose. And I pick my family. I pick my extended family. I pick my really close friends. Some of them, a lot of them happen to be illustrators. And, and, those are, and, and I pick my work and I pour that energy and time into that. And you can't be ashamed of pruning out the extra fat, cutting out the stuff that doesn't fit with your priorities because you don't have time to do it all. You can't, you can't do all the things. And I, and I, and I think that, um, yeah, personal life, you, you've got to be intentional about how you're spending your time. You've got to be intentional about who you mentor and who you don't. That's personal life stuff. Who, you know, you've got to pick and choose. There's going to be a lot of people that want you to be, uh, as you go along, the further you grow, the more that, um, that, that want to mentor you and that you want to, uh, mentor, but you can't do them all and you've got to prune that. So when you're, when I'm in my mentoring situations, the mentoring, uh, relationships I have with people that are mentoring me, I try to be aware of that for a season. That was a great mentor for me, but this season, not so much. And I'm spending less time with that person. And same goes for people that you're mentoring. So when I mentor this person, they take my advice and they're growing from it. But this person is no longer, I'm not helping them anymore. And it might not be their problem, it might be mine. But that one's not working anymore and we're going to cut that down or we're going to cut it off. And I think you've got to be intentional or all these personal things are going to, you know, all the volunteering and commitments and time that you, um, you know, all the regular things that you do, I think you have to cut away. You have to be intentional about that. All right. Number 16, have just one main goal for your work this year. I feel like this is something, you know, you can have a big wish list. Like I hope all this stuff happens, but I think when it comes to your work, I do think it's important to have like a goal or a resolution or something you want to achieve, but I think the best way to do it, instead of having 10 of them and kind of loosely going after all of them, pick one thing 
and I've got mine. I know what the thing I want to do this year. Pick that one thing and give it everything you've got. And t- but if you cross it off early in the year or halfway through the year, go on to number two. But don't think about number two. Maybe you can do one or two. Maybe you can do three. I don't know. But I think that if you just get intentional about, I'm going to do this one and I'm going to, these are the action steps, and I'm going to pour all of my extra energy into those. And all that other stuff is going to, I'm going to put it on the back burner. But I think you've got to do that because I feel like if you've got 10 goals, you're, you don't have time to do actionable steps for all 10 of them. So I think put that to-do list, that goal list, and put them in order of what they want to get done and focus it one, on a, one at a time. Number 17, Find your inner wellspring of infinite peace. (laughs) All right, that's ridiculous, and obviously meant to be ridiculous. But I feel like, okay, it it kind of reminded me of this. So if if you look at kids that go to school, you look at um, the kids that went to preschool to the kids that didn't, the kids that go to preschool, by the time they finish um, are, are generally more successful in life. And that's so much true that, uh, that or it's so true that, um, they, that the government has started subsidizing preschool in most states because it's such a determining factor of success. And why do I think that is? I'll tell you why I think that is. Because preschool is the, the waiting pool it's the it's the place where you you you're you're prepping socially and for me it's an analogy for your day and if you have that moment in the morning where you have that quiet time where you can get centered on the things that are important to you you can get away from the noise so for me like i've said before it's either a bath which is embarrassing i don't know why but it just is people think baths are weird I don't know. I like them. A bath or a walk. And I do that thing alone and I get that peace and I get that center and I remind myself of the things that are important to me. Or uh, most of the time I don't have to be that intentional. I just spend some time in solitude and slowly all that noise starts to get turned down and that the things that are important start to start to kind of percolate and, and, and make more sense. And I think that's what the preschool is like. Preschool is like, before you get learning, let's just be together. Let's just be in that space and let's just be, and I feel like if you go in to the day without some sense of who you are and that center of where, where, you, where you're at and what's important, if you run the day, it's like being in a race and the, and the gun goes off and the race starts before you've laced your shoes and, and, and it's going to be a mess. And so I think one of the best ways is just have that of doing less is having that quiet time to not let the noise drive your day. Don't let Twitter drive your day. Don't let that, you know, you start up and you see that thing on Twitter and you get jealous and you think I'm going to do something like that and I'm going to be blah, blah, blah. And you start heading down this path like a crazy person. You're letting all the outside world determine what your day's like. And if you let that happen, you're going to do way more in the day than you need to do. And all that stuff you do is going to be irrelevant. I think it's so important. Get Find your inner wellspring of infinite peace from the beginning of your day and you will do less, more better. 18, fight opportunities. 
I love opportunities. I'm the type of person, if you look at my Myers-Briggs test, my personality, I love possibilities. I live in a world of possibilities. I love the idea every time I see an opportunity, to me, it's like a possible golden ticket. Like every, you know, every one of these chocolate bars might just have a golden ticket in it. It's like I'm the type of person that could get sucked into lottery, you know, playing the lottery because... You know, I love that possibility. I don't play the lottery. I don't do any gambling, actually, just because I feel like that's my personality type to be sucked into that. And I think what you need to do when someone says, hey, do you want to be, do you want to contribute to this blog? Do you want to do this? Do you want to have this new project? Do you want to volunteer? Do you want to go this place? Do you want to, all that stuff. Every time you see an opportunity, you got to fight the the notion that maybe it's a golden ticket. Maybe it's that missing piece that I'm looking for. Now, I think sometimes it is. And I'm not saying that every opportunity isn't or that you should hate every opportunity, but I am saying that I think it's a smarter attitude to see every opportunity as a possible siren, you know, back in mythology. These beautiful, I think they were like mermaids, that would call that these beautiful, they would sing these beautiful songs and it would lure the sailor off of his path and then kill him. And I think every opportunity, it's better to first feel like this could be the thing that's trying to distract me than the thing that, oh, this is the thing that's gonna make me what I need to be. And I started thinking the other side of it, every opportunity, every new opportunity, seeing like maybe testing the waters, like maybe this is Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars and you're Anakin and he's telling you, I've got a faster, better way to get what you want and you're going to turn into Darth Vader. So if you're not familiar with that, you know, the Jedi's kept telling Anakin, like, you got to slow down, you got to chill out. You're, you can't have it all at once. You can't, There's no quick fix to this, to being a Jedi, to being a master. And they deny him being a master. But Palpatine is saying, no, let that curiosity and fear and uh, fuel this thing. And you can have it now and you can save everybody now and you can have it all. And I feel like that same thing, these opportunities that come along or these ideas that you have, these projects that you want to do or all these things that are going to spread you too thin and make you uh, ineffective, they're like the things they're Emperor Palpatine saying, yeah, feed into that. Feel the hate, whatever it is. I'm not an insane Star Wars fan. I like that, but I don't, I don't know it super well. But fuel that thing, like that jealousy. Yeah, follow that jealousy side road. Go off into that direction because it's going to spread you too thin. And so instead of seeing every new opportunity or every time someone asks you to do something, instead of seeing it like, ooh, another side road, another thing that I could do that maybe just might be my thing or might make everything work or maybe make me feel good, Instead of seeing it all like that, seeing all these extra burdens, all these extra responsibilities, all these opportunities, all these jobs, be cautious when you hear someone ask you to do something. For me personally, you know, I can be a people pleaser. Would they want me to do that thing? I'm even right now as we speak, I'm letting go of a client that I've worked with for a long time and they've helped me pay my bills and I'm super grateful for it and I'm not entitled when it comes to creative work. But it's that good stuff that's not great for me anymore. It's not my highest contribution. And I know they love, they love the stuff that I do. And, and I'm a people pleaser. And I want to just say, okay, I'll do it. But it's not my path. 
and I'm being cautious about it. They, I might love those guys, but secretly they're my Emperor Palpatine. And they're saying, just let that fear of the future fuel your obsession with doing more. I'm not going to do it. So in every opportunity, is, don't see it as a possible golden ticket. 19. We're almost to the end. Hope you're feeling good. I know this is a big old chunk, but I wanted to do a big old chunk. I wanted to take my advice from, uh, I don't know which one it was, but of doing something. I wanted to pour more time and energy into this thing and put less out there over, over the week and just give you one big old thing that you can uh, savor and, and, and just be a big old thing. So th- I know it's long, but you stick with me and let's, let's battle this thing through. <clears throat> 19 is make space in your life to be a person. Things that are non-negotiable. Now, I've mentioned on this podcast that I, I'm of the spiritual persuasion. You know, the major religions in the uh, world come from uh, uh, Israel, the uh, the original books of uh, the Bible and, and and the Jewish tradition and the Muslim tradition have commonality. And back in that, they talk about um, God giving the people Sabbath, requiring that on the on the I'm not that familiar with it the sixth day that you have to rest. You have to. Um, Maybe it's the seventh day. Sounds like it's better. Makes more sense. But I think it's the sixth day. That sounds right. You have to rest. You have to stop what you're doing. No matter what. No matter what's on your plate. Do that. And I feel like exercise is like this. Family time. Like I want to go on a date with my daughter every week. No matter what's on my plate. I feel like that discipline of I'm going to be just a person. I heard. I hear this and I... I'll be honest with you, I hate little things like this, and I hate it. I don't even want to say it, but I think there's a good point, so I'll say it. That whole, you're not just a, you're, you're a human being, not a human doing, I hate that. It, it cringes, I, get, I cringe saying it, but I like the sentiment of like making space where you're like, I'm not going to be productive on that day or in this time, in this rhythm. I'm going to do this discipline. Like reading a book, reading some fiction. I'm bad at it. I like fiction, but when I read it, I feel like I'm not being productive. And, I, and if you're like that, I think you've got to say, I'm going to do things where I'm just a person. And I'm not going to let productivity rule. And I think it's so important to make, what are the things you're going to do on a weekly or daily basis that says, no matter what's on my plate, I'm doing those things because that's me just being a person. And I need to do less in that way. And I don't think you need to do 15 of those things where now you're doing more as a, as a, as a uh, lesson. I'm saying get, make those things that you're saying, I'm going to do these all every week no matter what. And, I'm not, and if there's opportunities that come along that negate these things, I'm going to say no to them. You're just charting out space. All right, last one. Kill FOMO which FOMO is the fear of missing out. And we've never had more of that with Facebook. Your friends are doing amazing vacations and parties on the weekend and uh, they're doing all these amazing things with their kids and they're doing all this amazing work and all this, uh, all of these things. And you have this thing in you that feels like, ah, I'm missing out on this thing. And it's similar to the jealousy side road. 
but you've got to kill that thing in you that's saying you're miss something better is going on somewhere else and stick to the stuff that you need to be focusing on. Stick with the stuff that's the good for you, the great stuff that's for you. And don't get afraid that you're missing out on that award. You're missing out on those clients. You're not involved in that magazine. You didn't get, you know, that industry. You need, you could tap into that and you could do a little bit of logo stuff on the side or whatever it is. Don't let that fear of missing out drive you. I don't feel like that is the right place, the right motivation for doing the work that you should be doing. Like fear of missing out. I don't think that's the place it comes from. I, I'm going to talk about this a lot because it's one of my favorite things, but Kate Bingman Burt, one of my favorite people, says when about her side projects, do only the side projects that you're going to die if you don't do them. That's where the motivation to do that great work comes from. Not I'm missing out on that cool stuff they're doing. You've got to fight that urge, that fear of missing out urge, because it's going to make you stack up your plate with a bunch of junk that you don't need to do, right? Okay, we did it. It was a long one today, but I had so much to say, and I wanted to just, I wanted to take a moment and say, let's do less. Don't buy into the noise and the action and the, the, um, the insanity and the chaos that is modern life. Pull you in a billion different directions to where you're ineffective and you can't compete on a big scale. I think it's so important to get intentional about how do you do less? More better. <laughs> Every time I say that sounds so stupid. Uh, and that's why I do it. I'm, I gotta make myself be, not take myself so seriously on this podcast because it's doing an hour plus monologue is quite a hefty toll on my ego. Um, I really believe in this. I hope that all this stuff really um, hits you in a strong way and, and meant something and, and really uh, helps you identify the things in your life. I hope that you start thinking about and you actually do go out there and do less. That would be awesome. I'm on that path. That's something I'm it's very much on my heart today. Uh, it's something I'm thinking about right now. Um, how do I do less and, and, and do uh, the things I do with um, more quality? I think one of the first times I, I ran into this idea was um, I went to go visit Jim Dats in his studio at the time. He was sharing it with uh, Josh Cochran and Mike Perry, and they were actually in New York at the time, so I didn't get to meet him. But I think it was Mike had on the wall something about doing less um, but bringing more quality to everything that he did. Um, and I think honestly, over time, if you, if you, and I think when it comes to your illustration career or your design career, the real attitude, the real right thing to do, it's really hard to do when you're young too, is thinking about the long game because that's the thing that's gonna matter. And I think in the long game, you're gonna want to have done more quality things and less overall. Okay. Thank you for all the messages and email. I'm kind of overwhelmed with the emails and I love it though. So keep sending them. It's really nice to hear how this thing is making an impact on you. I'll try to get back to you quickly. I'm not super good at that. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for the emails. 
thank you for everybody that goes on there and reviews this on iTunes. That means so much to me. That's one of the best ways for other people to find it. So if it's effective for you and it's making a difference for you, go ahead and go on there and give a review if, if you love this show and uh, it'll help other people find it. I, I, I'm so appreciative of all that. Um, thanks for the good ratings. Thanks for the uh, sharing it on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It means so much to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the encouragement for doing this because it's not an easy task. It's not something that, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do to put yourself out there in this way. And I also realize that it's not maybe the coolest thing to, to go out and say, hey, it's hard to make good work and it's hard to have a good career and, it's, and I'm working hard at it. You know, hard work isn't always uh, come across very cool. And so, uh, you know, I'm putting myself, I feel like I'm putting myself in the line in a lot of ways. So I really appreciate all the uh, feedback and all the um, encouragement. So. And one more thing, remember you can hear this on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. It's an amazing illustration website. Thank you guys for syndicating it and letting me, uh, the creative pep talk, be your uh, flagship pep talk. Um, and yeah, so until next time, try to stay pepped up. And I'll be back next week to uh, pep you up. Speak soon, guys.